Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, summer music season is in full swing, Wendy. Yeehaw! It is. And, oh man, Memorial Day weekend. So on Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, we got to play at the world's largest sausage party. <laughs> and that is Bratfest. You know, I didn't hear, did they set the record this year? Usually they set the record for the most uh, bratwurst consumed. It was a little rainy on Saturday, so I think that cut into the... Uh, oh, the numbers. The attendance. So... Bummer. But we had a great time, and and Bratfest is the largest free music festival in the United States. Oh, so there's a like 150 bands, and that's awesome. Four different and stages, it, and not only is the admission free, but the parking is free too. Right. I always appreciated that. <laughs> Which yes. So yeah, I know we had a really good time, and um, we had two outdoor shows last week. So Bratfest, and then we also played at a local car show night. And just loving it, loving the good weather. Yeah, this is it. This is this is what living in Wisconsin. This is why we endure the winter. It so is. We can have weeks like this. Well, so. I tell you, I wanted to try and ask Kip Winger about any kind of paranormal inspiration for his ballet ghosts that came out not too long That's ago. That's right. And I didn't have a chance because no. okay, so. We're setting up and the, the, the side of the stage is like a little tent, right? Where we're all setting up. And so it's right after we play. And then, you know, Kip comes in and he's, people are like, holy crap, it's Kip Winger, you know, and they're reaching out at him, trying to touch his majestic body. Oh, no. <laughs> and he rushes into the tent and then it's Ben. Ben's our guitar player in Sunspot. It's Ben and I in the tent. <laughs> and, you know, I met him before and like we, you know, he's like, oh, nice to see you again, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of wanted to ask him about yeah. Real, real quick, you know, while I had him there and while he had a minute and was decompressing. But then, like, he only had a tent to, like, set up in. Yeah. And so that was To it. change clothes and everything. Right. And so I figured we should just get the Give heck. some privacy. Get the heck out of the tent when we had time. And it was a small tent. It wasn't like. Right. It wasn't you know, like a majestic so, yeah. tent. It was a pup tent. <laughs> no, it wasn't a pup tent either. But it. It was just well, we missed our chance to ask Kip Winger. Well, we'll have to try to run into him again sometime. I think he's coming back to the casino, like in Milwaukee. Oh, that's right. Before the end of the year, he plays at the casino in Milwaukee. And my mother loves to go to that casino in Milwaukee, Pottawatomie. Oh, yes, she does. So I'll try to convince <laughs> her next time he's playing if she can get okay. a room and we can gamble and maybe try to hang, hang with Kip. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, fair enough. he put on a good show. Rotfest was super fun. It wasn't as it was paranormally it was. beautiful outside. Oh, there was a double rainbow. Double rainbow. Double rainbow. Not during our set, but I stuck around to see some of the other bands. And uh, later in the evening on Sunday, looked up. Gigantic, perfect double rainbow. That's Sadly, nice. I did not capture a picture of it because my phone was already dead by that point. But I made sure to soak it in nice and good with my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> take a nice mental picture of it because it was really cool well that does sound cool and i tell you double rainbows and phones running out of battery i'm starting to appreciate the fact that phones run out of battery now 
Yeah. Because Isn't if it's funny, because if it starts at a certain time of day and let's say you're partying or playing or it's a kind of thing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's five o'clock in the morning and you're like, yeah, we should take some pictures, man. And then you grab the phone <laughs> and it's, it is so much better that you can't take those pictures. Yeah. Well, because the I kind of pictures you take at five o'clock in the morning are not the kind of pictures that you should be taking. No, that's true. And that's often very true. But the other point is that you really can enjoy things more if you're not thinking about getting the phone out and opening up the camera app. And, you know, because once my phone was dead, I just zipped it up in my purse and like, okay, well. Right. That's it. That's that. And. Guess I won't be calling any Ubers. Right. And I, I did have that instinct when the rainbow appeared. You know, I was like, oh, go take a picture. But then I thought, no, nope, can't. So what can I do? I can stare at the actual rainbow and enjoy right, the, you can the moment because it. it's only going to be here. Actually, it was it was there for a good solid five minutes, I'd say. So that was pretty impressive. Not paranormal, but but still cool. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of phones, uh, I'm surprised that the study that came out last week that found a cause, you know, a causation relationship between cell phones and cancer in mice uh, hasn't kind of yeah. blown up our world yet. Uh, so I think we all might be spending a lot less time with our phones in the in the next few years know. anyway. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'm just surprised. I'll link to that in the show notes because I think it's something that I just thought it would be everywhere. Like this week, I thought that, that would be the topic of conversation. Like, hey, you heard about, about that phones, right? And it came out yesterday how Prince died. So that was been a, been a topic of conversation. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Prince did have a uh, an overdose of a oh. certain kind of um, prescription opioid. Oh, that's so tragic. So he's probably the most famous that's person now that, that is a, a victim of the, you know, the opioid epidemic we have going on. People, yeah, so it wasn't a natural cause. It was, it was something no. that could have been avoided. He didn't die just because he was too funky. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he died because... No, but, you know, people have heart attacks or strokes or things like that. Sure. You know, and like, 57 so. years old and his heart, I mean, he's a little guy. His heart wasn't that big, you know, for all the dancing and stuff he did. And so, yeah, so he died of a opioid overdose and just another guy that he had hip pain, started mm. taking the painkillers, and the painkillers hooked him. Makes me sad. In fact, the article I read about it said that the opioid was like heroin on steroids oh my goodness so it's a super must have been something yeah super powerful like 50 times as effective as morphine so that's that must have been some pain he was in it's very sad yeah it is very you know completely sad and just goes to show that painkillers are a dangerous thing you know yeah and we haven't figured that out yet careful (laughs) but why did we jump to prince we just talking about what people were talking about during this week. I thought oh. they were going to talk about cell phones. Instead, we're still talking yeah. about Prince, and I love Prince, but we're still talking about him. Well, now, now the book is closed on what happened. So um, back to the cell phone study. Did you notice that the results said uh, that the male mice were more affected than the female mice? No, I don't remember the, that part of it. That was one of the findings was that it, it was um, the incidences in female was like extremely low, if not completely absent i'll have to look at it again but i thought that was interesting well now that makes sense so why i'm gonna said, keep like, using my phone like why, why you just said like well <laughs> it won't be me that's that's well, not using maybe, the cell phones i thought maybe the the female mice just didn't use their phones as much <laughs> i'm right. kidding i'm kidding right female mice anyway. they just don't get called that much anymore 
And I understand they shouldn't have been they shouldn't have been so mean to that that to Tom at that party. Oh, and Tom's not even the mouse. Jerry's the mouse. I blew that. <laughs> you messed up the joke. joke so bad. I'm working. It's improv. I'm working here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, moving so on. We should move on to what we really want to talk about this week, and that is horror movies. Wendy, what's your favorite horror movie? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I have a favorite horror movie. One that impacted me greatly when I saw it as a child was, um, don't laugh, but Pet Cemetery. Pet? There's no, there's no laugh about Pet Cemetery. That's a great movie. It totally gave me nightmares for weeks. That's because it's scary. Yeah. So I'm with you. And it's got a great Ramones theme song to it, too. Yes, it does. So um, how about you? What what what's a, uh, your favorite horror movie or maybe the one that impacted you the most? Well, Night of the Living Dead impacted me the most. I mean, just mm, scared the classic scared the crap out of little Mike. And uh, right, I couldn't I was crying. I couldn't sleep, that kind of thing. And this is when I was 16. No, <laughs> I, was, I was six. But we've talked about uh, Night of the Living Dead before. But real life horror movies or when they say a horror movie is based on a true story. That's usually when it scares me the most. And I think that's when it scares most people the most. That's true. So The Exorcist, when they said based on a true story kind of thing, it totally affected how people watch the movie. And, ah, and if, yeah. you're, if you're a Catholic, then there's Catholic priests, you know, fighting the devil. So Catholic priests fighting the devil. If you're a Catholic, like, oh my God, like this is, this is something that we believe. Yeah. And based on a true story, always seems to amp up people's reaction to it. And there could sure. the the biggest horror movie based on a true story of this decade so far was a movie called The Conjuring that came out in 2013. Ah, uh, yes. And I've seen the movie a couple of times. I saw it the weekend it came out, and when the reviews said that this is a classic 70s style, not a gory horror movie, but the kind of horror movie where your creeping doom you know you feel the impending horror of the characters and it just scares the crap out of you (laughs) i when i saw those reviews i'm like we got to check it out and i like the director too his name is james wan he did a very cool movie called insidious a few years ago and that was like kind of the movie that made him famous and i just i thought the conjuring blew me away you know, and what made it more interesting to everybody is that they said it was based on a true story. Okay. Okay. So, so for those who didn't see The Conjuring, can you give us, you know, the sure nickel summary of it? Yeah, you get a, a family with five daughters, moves into a farmhouse outside of New York. And as they move into the house, they start hearing strange things around the house. Things start moving on their own. And people start to get possessed. Oh, so little poltergeist action, little possession action. Yeah. So what happens is they call in the team of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And, and, and Ed Warren was a New England paranormal investigator who carried a card around that said Ed Warren demonologist. All right. <laughs> right. Oh, man. How do you get that credential? Well, you pretty much make it up as, as far as what I can tell. That's how they do it. But Ed and Lorraine Warren, they were New England's Mulder and Scully. Oh, cool. You know, they're out there. They're doing investigations. And there's probably more movies 
and books based on their quote-unquote real-life investigations than any other paranormal investigator. Wow. So the Warrens really took Hollywood by storm. And The Conjuring, these experiences happened to the Perron family, P-E-R-R-O-N, and it happened in the early 1970s is when they, the weird stuff happened okay. around the house. And it's all supposed that a, a witch was hung at that property, like in the 18th century, and they named, they named the witch Bathsheba, which is a pretty, you know, biblical-sounding name. I mean, obviously, Bathsheba's a character in the Bible, so it's not just a biblical-sounding name. I mean, it is a Bible name. Uh-huh. But that the witch had cursed the land, and so that the owners on the property, after she died, the story is that they tried to kill each other and that the women who lived on there would turn on their children, turn on their husbands, murder people possessed by the witch, Bathsheba. And that's not really spoiling the conjuring when I say there's a evil witch involved. Okay. So... You, you guys, if you haven't seen the movie, first of all, see it because it's a great horror movie. But it is a horror movie. Is it going to make me have nightmares for yeah. Oh, yeah. nights on end? Oh, oh yeah. That, it is, it is nightmare fuel. It's great. There's excellent images in it, but it's not gory. It's just scary. Yeah, well, the, the movies that leave more to your imagination are usually the scariest ones. Like yes. Blair Witch Project. Now, I know it gets made fun of a lot, but I remember seeing it and being utterly terrified. Well, Blair, there's nothing, nothing in there, gory or special effects or anything. I mean, no, I mean, Blair Witch Project was probably made for 80 bucks. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing that people forget about Blair Witch that I thought was great was that in 1999, when the movie came out, they had their viral marketing campaign in the early days of, of Internet marketing was that they would leave copies of the tape, you know, <laughs> In just in certain areas. And, and that's clever. And they had this website about how the people had disappeared. And because they were unknown actors, nobody was famous yet when they made the Blair Witch Project. You could believe that these people yeah, you didn't know actually were lost in the thing or whatever. Yeah. Lost in the Maryland forest. That's cool. That's very cool. And so when Blair Witch first showed, and if you guys haven't seen the Blair Witch Project, I understand. So we're talking to people in 2016, and this movie came out in the summer of 19... So it came out 17 years ago. Yeah. And so what I'd assume is like, what, you haven't heard of the Blair Witch Project? Oh, yeah. That would be to somebody who is our age, but somebody who might be younger might not know about it. And it wasn't like huge blockbuster. I mean, it... It was a pretty big hit. Was it? Yeah. Like, I mean, it spawned a whole found footage series of movies afterwards. Okay, so for the people who don't know. So the idea behind the Blair Witch Project is that you have three student uh, investigators slash filmmakers who go out into the Maryland forests and look for this legend of the Blair Witch. And it's an urban legend about this witch that lives in the middle of the forest and does things to people and is evil and all that stuff. And they go out there with their video camera. And the whole idea of the uh, film is that you are watching what people found inside the video camera. The people were never found, but the camera was. And that's the idea. And because nobody knew who the actors were, the directors or anything, and it was made for so little bit of money, Uh. there just wasn't the news and everything about it. Like today, we hear about a movie 
these Marvel movies, you hear about them four years nice. before they come out, and, you, and they're yeah, $250 million dollar productions. But people really felt that the Blair Witch Project was a real thing. So they used that based on a true story or whatever. They created an urban legend that worked. I mean, it got, I mean, made $100 million in the box office. So. But it's cool. It's done with minimal production. So it's just, it looks like somebody's holding a camcorder, basically. It, yeah. <laughs> and therefore, the true creativity in the movie is that it leaves just enough clues to make your imagination go totally berserker and mm-hmm. come up with all kinds of terrifying notions so and so the conjuring is like that in a lot of ways i mean it's, it's okay. a traditional fiction hollywood movie in mm-hmm. the way they do that but it lets you just watch the characters it lets the horror like simmer for a while instead of just coming in and like oh my god somebody got stabbed in the gut now they're like, oh my god there's their intestines it's great <laughs> it's it's the opposite of the human centipede which <laughs> wasn't as gory as everybody yeah. says i thought you know like at the, the the first human centipede I thought actually was was pretty tame, but that's me. Uh, I now, still can't believe that was even a movie. <laughs> well, it, it worked. Like everybody knows about the Human Centipede, so and he got to make three of them. He got to make three of those movies. Wow! Somebody ponied up that much money. Okay, but we're we're getting distracted from who we should be talking about, and that's the right, the, right, right. Back on the, track. The, the true life investigations of Ed and Lorraine Warren from Connecticut. They formed the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. So that's when they started their investigations in the early 50s. And it's funny because just by taking that name gives them some more credibility. And it's because the American Society for Psychical Research and the original Society for Psychical Research, which was British, they would have real scientists in it. So when you say the mm-hmm. Society for Psychic Research, that is, I mean, like Charles Darwin was, not Charles Darwin, I'm sorry, Charles Dickens, <laughs> who's not a scientist, but he's an author. And, mm-hmm. and Society for Psychic Research, back when we were talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was another guy involved in all these investigations. So all the people that were doing investigations of spiritualism, the modern parapsychology scientific movement came from the American Society for Psychical Research and the British Society for Psychical Research. So you name your organization the New England Society for Psychic Research, and it gives you some kind of association. Even there is no association. Mm-hmm. Like the New England Society for Psychic Research was Ed and Lorraine Warren. Like we could have, Wendy, we could be the Madison Society for Psychic Research. And they'd be like, wow. oh, wow, are you guys affiliated? Well, no, no, not really. But we work <laughs> on the same principles. So they start that in 1952. And then, is that still functioning? That's well, exciting? yes. Um, okay. Well, they still operate a... Um, Occult Museum. Oh, okay, right. Which is the basement of their house. Hear about that? <laughs> really? Yeah, their basement of the house, Monroe, Connecticut. They have their occult museum. Why would you want all that scary stuff in your basement? Well, they and scariest they, basement ever. And they feature that museum in the movie, The Conjuring. Oh man! And when you go back to maybe their earliest investigate or their earliest well-known investigation, is with this doll named Annabelle. Yeah, that's creepy. Right. And well, they made a movie about <laughs> Annabelle too, like. Because of The Conjuring, because it was so successful, then they made a movie about the doll that's shown in the movie The Conjuring. And the doll is supposedly possessed? Yes. And it's already creepy looking because it's like one of those old Raggedy Ann kind of looking dolls. Right. In real life, it's the old Raggedy Ann looking doll. <laughs> in in the movie, it's a really it like creepy, Chucky? well, really creepy porcelain faced doll. So it, it's much scarier okay. in the movie. In real life, it just... 
it's it's Raggedy Ann. You're like, okay, what's she, what's she gonna do to you? It still looks creepy. well. What did she do to Raggedy Andy? Why is he so raggedy? <laughs> God. But anyway, so you get so you get a couple of roommates in that 1970, and all these weird things start happening in their apartment, and they can't figure it out. So they call on the Warrens, and the Warrens come in. They blame the doll. They say the doll is demonically <laughs> possessed. And right. quote unquote, being manipulated by an inhuman presence. And so the doll was the conduit to which the demon or the ghost or the evil spirit was entering their apartment and causing problems. So the idea is that uh, Annabelle, the doll, um, and, and here's, here's why they say it was possessed. So Ed Warren's a demonologist. That's his, that's his card and a psychic investigator. Lorraine Warren is a clairvoyant. Okay. And do they have any credentials? I mean, did they study any kind of psychology or no. religion or spirituality? Or I mean, there's no PhD involved here. Okay. I was just curious because I would want to know if I was hiring them. They had a lifelong interest. I mean, they were in their mid-20s when they formed the New England Society for Psychic Research, and they have their lifelong interest, and then they get into it, and they start investigating cases and create the museum of occult oddities that they keep in their basement and would show up at investigations. So, And by the 70s, they became really good at this. But to finish up on Annabelle, so Ed said that when Lorraine was doing her clairvoyant means... Wendy, you're the French expert here, but clear vision, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, so clairvoyant means clear vision. And Lorraine was told psychically that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a woman named Annabelle Higgins. And mm. Annabelle Higgins was the one causing all the trouble. So they took the doll and then they put it in their uh, occult museum and it even got its own movie. And that's in 1970. And so that's a, maybe chronologically, that's the first thing that they did that eventually made it to film. Okay. 1971, they have the, the Perrin case. And I'm sorry, I thought it was outside of New York earlier, but actually the home was Harrisville, Rhode Island, where the Perrins had their uh, witch, which the movie, the, movie the Conjuring is based on. So 1971 is when they go investigate the parents' case, which took place at, at their home in Rhode Island. And what I thought was interesting, too, is when you hear the real story, and a book was written by one of the parent daughters in the 2000s that kind of said, like, well, here's what really happened. Here's what... Oh, the, that'd be interesting. Here's what the Warrens say happened. Here's what happened in the movie. And, you know, here's, here's what... Here's my account. Here's my account 30 years after the fact. Wow. But so she's written a trilogy of books about their encounters at the house. But what I think is interesting is she said that they didn't call the Warrens. In fact, the, uh, the father... Well, that's curious. Right, and in the movie, they make the call. Like, oh, they, these psychic investigators are doing a, a yeah. lecture at a local college, so we need to call them and bring them in. No, they'd show up one day. And so the father was super mad about it and didn't want any part of it. The dad even punches Ed Warren in the face. What? Yeah, that, I mean, that's what, according to the book. That's, wow, that's so, pretty extreme. You know, 
he doesn't really buy any of the possession kind of thing and the haunting kind of thing. And so, you know, the daughter does say that they had some crazy stuff happen at the house. And, you know, she goes into it. I mean, she, three books worth of stuff. <laughs> Obviously, in The Conjuring, they took things like a chair moving backwards a little bit, like that she describes at this. It wasn't really an exorcism. In the, in the movie, they have this huge exorcism and things. And, and the Warrens said they were exorcists even though they like they never actually got permission from the church and real oh, exorcism okay. and things and they were catholic wow and a lot of the crazy. families and a lot of the families they went to were catholic families so it's people that might have a predisposition to believe in yeah. demons and monsters and and things like that because but you'd think that those people would also want to make sure that the exorcists they're hiring are actually endorsed by the church or whatever well, I'm not sure that the Warrens actually charge any money. Yeah, but still, I mean... You want to make sure that the people you bring into your house... If you're religious and you believe in that kind of thing, you would want to make sure that the people you're asking for help from are actually, like, legitimate, right? Are actually helpful. You would hope. Yeah. Well, they did have a good reputation, and they did, okay. they did talk on college campuses all the time. I think that's a lot of how they made their money, was in the college mm. circuit for a long time. But anyway, in The Conjuring, it's like... The father calls, you know, he's like, oh, we need help now. I, it doesn't sound like that. I make it sound like the yeah. choppers are coming down like it's a Vietnam movie. Get us out of here. Charlie's everywhere. It wasn't like that. But No, but they portray it as a desperate family looking for help. Well, and, and that's the thing. And, and this comes up over and over again, that the Warrens seem to know about things that are happening, you know, stuff that happens at a cult or problem families and, and problems in houses that might have some kind of paranormal explanation. And they seem to show up and they insert themselves into that. Mm. And, and that'll come up more later. So, well, not only were these investigators, the Warrens, good at uh, driving demons and ghosts out of people's homes, they were also good at finding those demons and ghosts in the first place. Okay. And well, that, if that's what they do. Yes. Right. I mean, then you'd, they'd be on the lookout constantly for opportunities to go right they open up the inquirer and see who this week you know Uh, (laughs) who's getting haunted this week this is where we go you know it's funny because you look at their wikipedia page and it says they're best known for their involvement in the 1976 amityville horror case Mm -hmm. now i don't know did you ever see the amityville horror when you were a kid i think i did a long long time ago i remember it very well and the sequels are all of various quality as in they're all crap Okay. But the idea behind the, the Amityville horror case is 1974, you get a guy by the name of Ronald DeBoer, Butch. Okay. Um, Butch kills his entire family <gasps> in a house in Amityville, New York. Yikes. Which is uh, part of Long Island. And so he kills his entire family and then like goes to a bar and says, somebody killed my family. And the police come and everything. They find out, oh, he killed his family. (laughs) It was him. He's still in prison now. He's about 22 years old when this happened in 1974. And his entire family was murdered. He blames it on his sister, Dawn, who was 18 at the time. He says that she did it and then he killed her, just, you know, trying to stop her and that. And there's no evidence behind anything. He gets 25 years per person. So he's obviously spending the rest of his life in prison because he killed his family. Okay. So a year later, the Lutz family moves in 
And the house is a steal. It's a nice big house. And it's a steal because nobody wants to buy a house where somebody just murdered like four other people. That would be eerie. And then they say they only stayed there for 28 days because weird stuff happened right away. The walls start bleeding. You know, they see a, oh. like a, a demon pig at the window. A voice oh says, get out. Like, and it's all shown in the movie. Extreme. And it's in the book. And so what happens is this book is released in 1976 called The Amityville Horror, written by a guy named Jay Anson. Jay Anson never even actually walked into that house in Amityville. Like oh, he really? never, yeah, so he wrote the book based on interviews with the Lutz family. George Lutz and his wife and Kathy. Okay. And the kids. Christopher was like five at the time, so... He's talked about it since, but he says that the book isn't very accurate either. But if I try to remember something when I'm five years old, I guess maybe if I saw a demon pig, I'd remember that. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the people that have gone in and and fact-checked the Amityville Horror since, you know, they think it's a total hoax. But this movie was released in um, 1979 based on the book, and it starred, starred James Brolin, Margot Kidder, who was Lois Lane in Superman. Ah. Uh, so it's got big stars and cool. it's a it's a huge hit based on a true story so that gets everybody believing like oh my god uh, this is based on a true this okay. really this really happened to people and you know to hollywood they wouldn't exaggerate things they wouldn't blow right. things up right no never right anyway so the warrens are not involved at all in the initial investigation in anything until a tv crew wants to go there to do an investigation Like, this is probably after the movie and stuff like that. They're like, we got, you know, or the book. They're like, we got these stories, so we're going to do an investigation. And they go in, and I uh, listen to an interview with the investigator, the lead from the TV station who was doing it. And he said they did a seance, and they did a seance on the ground floor, and it was basically a big bore. Like, nothing happened. He goes, the only grumbling I heard was from my crew who wanted to eat sandwiches. You know, they were bored. And he didn't attend a special seance that Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren come with this crew. So they get called by the TV station after because they're, they're the famous demonologists. So they have no actual part in the original case. Uh, okay. So then Lorraine performs her own seance upstairs and says, I have never been closer to hell than I was there. Whoa. So she says that a lot happened to her when she was in the Amityville house, even okay. though none of that's on tape. So their involvement with the Amityville Horror is kind of as part of the coverage afterwards. So, gotcha. but they could, they could use that, you know, like, oh, no, we were on TV as, you know, as part of the special investigation into the house in Amityville. Okay. What happens 10 years later? The lawyer for the murderer says that he cooked up the whole idea with the new family living in that house. Because number one, the family wanted to make some money off of it. Like they bought the house and maybe couldn't afford it or the mortgage was a problem. Mm. This has been, you know, it's all, all, it's all disputed. But yeah. the lawyer says that he was trying to get a judge or a jury to look at the case again. He had no options. Like, you know, he'd been sentenced to... Uh, so it was just desperation. And so he thinks that if he could kind of make people think that the house was haunted and the kid was possessed, he could get them to wow. relook at the case. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Total extreme measures. <laughs> yes, that's total extreme measures. And so he, he says this on a current affair. 
Remember that Maury Povich used to have a, a, a tabloid TV show in the late eighties called a current affair. I do remember that. And he says it and he says, it, he says it was a hoax. And that's been talked about. He said it before the current affair, but that's the only actual footage I could find where he says it was a hoax. The lawyer who was involved. Okay. Because people have been saying that he admitted it was a hoax like in the early 80s. But then I try to find the source of that. And all I can find for sources is more books that say he admitted it in the early 80s. And nobody says the actual show or anything like that. So a current affair is good that way. And that he said it on a current affair. But also he was suing the Lutzes. Because he said he didn't make enough money from the rights to the movie. Oh, man. So the next thing is, is that, you know, the response from everything. Wow. The, the, debunking, of the, the debunking of the debunking is that <laughs> he's just trying to help his lawsuit to get more money out of the original movie. And they made, they made three sequels. One of them was in 3D to the Amityville Horror. And they made a remake in 2005. <laughs> so there's millions of dollars. From book sales, movies, all, you know, tied up into this intellectual property. And the Warrens take that notoriety and they jump on it. Oh, yeah, we were part of the Amityville Horror. Really? Like, I don't even think they met met the Lutzes. Maybe they met them at a convention sometime, but they weren't there during the original investigation. So that's a little suspect from the beginning. And, and, And the problem is I hate to be hard on the Warrens because... Like, they have so many cool stories. And I remember listening to Art Bell when Ed and Lorraine and Warren would be on. And I'd be like, oh, oh awesome. man, they're demonologists. Isn't that awesome? And I feel bad. But when you look at the facts of everything, you realize that mm, they were finding a way to make money out of all these oh, different things. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Okay. We'll talk about the Enfield poltergeist that The Conjuring 2 is based on in a minute. But first... I want to talk about how it may have been damaging for them to be involved in a case in 1981. Oh. And this was a case they made a movie about. There was a book called The Devil in Connecticut about. Well, let's go back. Okay. You get a family whose son starts acting very weird. Okay. Son, you know, this little kid. Like, and it, 11 young? years old. Like, yeah, yeah oh, really okay. young. Okay. David Glashke. And so Preteen. he's really young, starts acting really weird. Starts, well, acting possessed, creepy voices, doing crazy things, swearing all the time. I mean, possession kind of. Yeah. Possession a lot of times is people just acting crazy mm-hmm. doing, you know, and especially a little kid when they start doing things way out of character. Yeah. So the Warrens get involved and they say, well, this kid's, this is, this is clearly a case of demonic possession. Okay. They run an exorcism, and what happens is, so one of the friends of the, of the mother of the kid starts acting crazy after that. Uh-oh. All right? He ends what? up getting in a fight with his landlord, kills the landlord, <gasps> and the Warrens say that he was possessed too. Oh, like he caught it from whatever. Demon. Yeah. His name is uh, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. 1981, he's accused of killing his landlord. Well, he did not accused. He was convicted of killing his landlord. In the trial, the defense is the devil made me do it. They called it the devil made me do it case. Wow. And the Warrens were involved in the original investigation. And they're like, well, you know, the demon jumped from the kid to the older man. So that's where I think we have to start thinking that's about a scary notion. What's their personal responsibility in this? 
Uh, did like they the power of suggesting that fact? When you, when you say that demons can jump from person to person, when you have and an exorcism you know? and say right, and how do you? Of course, how do you know the judge said that. Right. I'm not trying to say that demons don't exist. They sure they might exist. I'm not saying people don't get possessed. Sure, yeah. they might get possessed. But what I am, well, we saying, don't know as humans. We do not know. Right. And you can't say <laughs> we to don't somebody have the answers. You can't say to somebody. We know this for a fact. We know that this guy is possessed and that demons can jump from person to person. And so what happened was they probably jumped from your kid to your boyfriend, or your friend or whatever. And it's the demon that made him murder somebody. And of course the judge is like, what? Get out of here. You know, that didn't go. And that guy, he's already out of jail. I believe he only served like 10 years of a 25 year sentence or something like that. So he's already, he's already out. Eventually he's like sued the Warrens too. <laughs> so, that Jeez. you know that went poorly but the thing is hmm. uh according to the movies and the books and things like that the demon murder it makes it look it's based on a true story yeah well, the true story is they were involved in something and and i'm not saying they're culpable but i am saying there is something to suggesting to people that demons are real demons are inside mm. you or inside a kid or whatever and before we move on i want, I want to say something now we've talked about reddit before Yes, we have. And I try to go in the paranormal sections on Reddit and see what kind of stories people have. And or try to, when they ask questions. And what I think is interesting is how many people, usually teenagers, will say, I think I'm possessed. It'll be, be I'm having these strange thoughts. I'm, I'm acting out in certain ways. I feel like I am not myself and I'm being possessed by some kind of spirit. That's crazy. That is crazy. And they're they're fine with sharing this openly on Reddit. Well, it's just somebody. I mean, it doesn't say the name. Like it doesn't say like Mike Huberty. I live oh, at okay. this address in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, but I mean, call me yeah. up for a for a good demonic time call. <laughs> right, <laughs> protected by the anonymity of the internet. Yes. So it's right. It's some guy named Bedoinker forty five or something like that, <laughs> or you know. Big Cheeks 20. Funny. You know, so it's always that kind of name or named after an anime character or something usually. (laughs) But you look at that and I just get surprised about how many people think they're possessed. And I'm not the world's biggest skeptic. When people say that they believe something, I usually try to believe them. But I feel that they're very suggestible. So that when other Mm. people on Reddit are saying things to them in the vein of... Oh, yeah, I have that too. You are... Oh, you better watch out for that, son. You are possessed. Demons are very scary. And if you play with the Ouija board, that that you know that demon came through the Ouija board right into your soul. I'm like, what? You just watched Aww. the exor. You watched the Exorcist, and now you are an you're an expert. No, you look. Demonologist isn't just a title you can put on a card. There's a reason why the cards <laughs> say psychiatrist and have a PhD after yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Actually, psychiatrist would be an MD, right? Oh, right. Okay. Anyway, there's a reason why we have Dr. Licensure. (laughs) What a great word that is. And there's a reason we have it. And it's because you, so you don't give people insane advice and scare them. Like I I always, I go in there and I tell them like, you're probably not possessed, but if you're having bad feelings, talk to your parents about it. I'm I'm the guy that says, talk to your parents about it. Or you can even propose a hypothesis or theory. And say, oh, based on what I've seen, I think that this might be. But you don't just go and say, you are possessed yeah. by, you know, a demon. 
how would you know? You just... Of course you don't know. And that's the problem. And that people get these kind of advice. And so that's why I think this is... Ed and Lorraine Warren seem fairly harmless. In this case, they definitely do not seem harmless. No. And I'm surprised that that wasn't brought up in court. Yeah. It goes on. I mean, they have several other events that lead to movies made for tv movies so there's a they got a book about somebody being possessed by a werewolf an investigation there that's fun right and probably what the conjuring 2 is based on so the conjuring 2 is based on the enfield poltergeist which was a case case in london in uh, 1977 so what happens is you get this family peggy hodgson she's got a 13 year old daughter margaret an 11-year-old daughter, Janet, and a 10-year-old son, Johnny, oh, and a 9-year-old, Billy. Okay. Wow, that's a big so, family. So Peggy Hodgson is pregnant for a long time. She's got her hands full. In the 70s. She's like, what did I do in the 70s? What do you think I did? <laughs> and what happened is you get all these preteens, teens together, and, you know, knocking in the house all the time. And it seems to be intelligent, too. Hmm. Like people hear knocks. When they ask questions and everybody's in the room. So like, where can the knocks come from? There's pictures of the girls like being dragged by the hair. There's one where it kind of looks like the girls being dragged by the hair on top of a bed. Oh my goodness. And it's, it could be she's jumping on the bed though too. Oh, okay. (laughs) But if you say like, look at the spirit, drag her by the, you know, she, it's, it's not like a video of the girl taking off. Imagination. Bingo. Bingo. Power persuasion. You see the fact that her hair, like there's no way her hair could be like that. Right. Well, how many headbanging pictures of us have they taken? <laughs> right? And sometimes I look at my hair and be like, I don't even know my hair was that long. Or I don't even know how I got out there. You know, but they just capture that right second. Yeah. Where it's like, well, when I was headbanging, my hair was supernaturally pulled by the devil himself, <laughs> baby. <laughs> like, well, all the way out there. But the Enfield pulled the guys, they get the guys from the British uh, Society for Psychical Research. They come in there. And so you get real parapsychologists going in telling the story, investigating, collecting all the data, and they do believe that there was some kind of activity there. The researchers there don't think it's a hoax. Okay, so when did the Warrens get involved? And this is interesting. So they based this movie, The Conjuring 2, quote-unquote, based on a true story, on something where the Warrens were only there for one day. Okay? And they weren't called. Wow, that must they have weren't gotten asked some to be good there. stuff that day. Well... What happened is, is that they showed up for one day and and on Darkness Radio, which is a great podcast and and show you guys should be listening to, Dave Schrader and and Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio, you should be listening to it uh, after you listen to ours every week. (laughs) Make sure you listen to Darkness Radio. And they were doing an interview with one of the researchers who was there in the original Enfield Poltergeist case. And he said, he's like, the Warrens were there for one day. I don't even know what they did. And no one called them. But they oh. showed up, they were there, and then they left. Sounds okay. familiar. Right. Well, why are they making a movie of the Enfield Poltergeist case then when the Warrens weren't ever even really there? I read an interesting article that um, a different production company has the rights to all of the things in the actual Ed and Lorraine Warren, their books, and oh, okay. the things that they put out. And so they were only able to sell the intellectual property for some other places they visited and things from their quote unquote casebook. Oh, so the Enfield Poltergeist has a huge amount of information about it. It's a very famous case from the late 70s in the UK. 
And because of the fact that a different production company had the rights to actually the cases that Ed and Lorraine Warren were front and center for, they had to take something that they'd only been tangentially part of. I see. And what they did was then they remade the script about them. Yeah. Well, so, the nice thing about Hollywood is that it's they're creating fiction so they can make happen whatever they want to make happen. You can do whatever you like. But if it was rooted in some, you know, something that actually is a quote true story, then that can say based on an actual event. Right. You, you can say that deep impact is based on a true story because we know that meteors have hit the earth before. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the funny thing. So, I mean, yeah, everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And indeed. When you're, when you're, and part of what made The Conjuring such a scare was that idea. It's based on a true story that this actually happened to somebody. Well, probably not. Hmm. <laughs> that's the only thing. Everything gets exaggerated when Hollywood gets hold. It sure it. does. So that's the thing. Um, one of their other mm. famous cases that I thought this, this is more telling of, of them is there was a movie a few years ago called The Haunting in Connecticut. Okay. And actually at the Chicago Paranormal Conference in October, uh, Virginia Madsen, the actress, was there. And she was the star of Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, cool. I like her. And, yeah, yeah, and she was super nice in person and, and um, from Chicago, so... You know, she had a lot of local love there, and that was re- really fun. But she tells a Great. story about when they were filming The Haunting in Connecticut, and their hotel was haunted. Oh, cool. And so, she, you know, she had an experience. The producer had an experience. Like, everybody had an experience. But the actual story that it's based on about the possession of this, uh, called the, the Snedeker family. Okay. Uh, in Connecticut, and this happened in the mid-80s. That doesn't seem quite as real as maybe Virginia Madsen's haunted hotel stories were okay so what happens is they hire a horror author to write the book with them and this this horror author is like their ghost writer on the book so they tell him <laughs> ghost they writer. tell him they tell him they want to make it a good story and so unlike jay anson you know not visiting the amityville house like mm-hmm. this horror author he goes in he starts interviewing the Snedeker family, the people it happened to, and it basically was a case of they said that their boy was possessed, their teenage boy, started acting all weird. You know, it, these girls claim that they'd been touched sexually in the house, mm-hmm. like while they were sleeping. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of different weird activities that happen. And the Warrens said, well, this is totally a case of demonic possession. Well, the author starts talking to the family. And he says to Ed Warren, you know, I can't, I can't believe any of them because I can't get their stories straight. This is supposed to be a nonfiction book and their stories keep changing. Hmm, That's curious. He's like, these people sound crazy. (laughs) To which Ed Warren says, all the people that come to us are crazy. Oh, oh, that's. Your job is to, your job is to make this a good story. That's problematic. Right. And so the, the publishing company sells it as nonfiction. And the author's been doing this for the past 20 years since the book came out in the early 90s. He's come out and said, this is a, this is a work of fiction. Like, I made oh a lot gosh. of this stuff up. Oh, see, yeah, that's... And that's the whole point. We say based on a true story. The book says based on a true story. It's being sold as nonfiction. And there's no government regulations for fiction versus nonfiction. Not that yeah. there should be, because I think that's a, 
<laughs> there's no reason the government needs to get involved in, in telling us what is true and no. what is not because they already do a poor job of that but the fact is i think it really just says something that this author is like ed ed told me that all the people that come to him are crazy you're a horror author that's why we hired you write a good story yeah that's very telling just that particular statement and the way that he said it too i mean right and it just makes me feel bad because you know you always want to you want to believe that everybody has their best intentions in mind yes and you think about again the people who are desperate for an answer they're experiencing things they don't understand and they're so desperate and they go to someone who they trust right to tell their story to who they think is going to help them and then turns out that person's like oh yeah these guys are a bunch of nutcases (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's very sad. Well, and the author, Ray Garten, we will do a, um, a link to that interview because it's a pretty interesting interview. But, I mean, he comes out and he really just says that uh, he thinks that the book was completely mismarketed and he considers it a work of fiction and he's the writer, you know? Oh, man. So if anyone would know then, <laughs> it would right. be him. And, and that's the thing. And, you know... The Warrens sometimes do, when they used to do interviews or presentations, because they were on Sally Jesse Raphael. I mean, they were even on, they were on Sally Jesse Raphael for that book in particular. And they've been on, they probably on Geraldo. You know, you used to hear them on Coast to Coast, and they were featured on a thousand different television shows. In fact, Lorraine Warren, after Ed died in 2006, she was even a guest investigator on Paranormal State, which is one of the reality shows. Oh, okay. So, I mean... A reality TV star in her, in her late 80s. That's not something you got to respect that a little bit. That's true. But the fact is, you know, whenever they would do kind of presentations, Lorraine would come and say that before we even start talking about this, she would ask the interviewer or the other people around her, well, do you believe in God? Because if you don't believe in God, then none of this is going to make any sense. Oh, interesting. So I see that as some kind of like a, not like a hypnosis technique, but it's like one, it's one of those suggestibility techniques. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, we're doing a show and you start clapping or people in the audience start clapping and you, you're trying to get everybody else to clap for something. Right. So you kind of, you, if, if you know some people are going to start clapping right away and then you encourage them and then they turn around like, yeah, come on, let's get it going. You are, uh, you're preloading the audience. It's kind of like, it's kind of like what Daniel Romanos used to do when he was in the, the ex- live yeah. exorcisms, you know, he would go up there and he's like, I would get the devil cast out of me, you know, and that the people's belief got preloaded. And it seems like she would do that in interviews and stuff and be like, well, if you don't believe in God, then you're not going to get it. So that takes the skeptics out right away. Right. So if you're a skeptic, well, like, okay, well, then I guess this isn't for me. Uh, yeah. What's, what's and the if point you're, of even listening? And if you're already predisposed into believing in uh, a higher power, will that mean... The converse is a, I guess, lower power, is how you would say, because if there's a God, there must be Satan. That's something that Christopher Booth talks about, too. Like he's a real believer in duality. And so yeah. he'll be like, you know, if you believe in God, then you have to believe in Satan. Hmm. I don't personally agree with that, but he talks about, you know, he'll be like, Satan's real, baby. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, and that's how the Warrens were. And, and that's how they sold a lot of their books. And that's how they, they yeah. and they would deal with Catholic families. They were Catholic themselves, and you know they said they had a relationship with the local archdiocese, which the archdiocese were like, no, we don't really hang out with paranormal investigators. They they kind of didn't want to be associated with paranormal oh, investigators because you know what are you gonna you be like, yeah, they're paranormal oh, investigators. Yeah. So the Warrens they really created some interesting fiction. Now whether Definitely. now whether or not they used that money that they made from that 
to actually help people who are going through psychological trauma, who may have been possessed or something. That's something we don't know. We theorized why people will do things that are ridiculous or easily disprovable or just look like money grabs in the past. Right. And the answer's always been, well, so they can actually do, so they can take that money and actually get some real evidence with it. And so, yeah, yeah. So I hope that the Warrens, you know, were, didn't just take the money and run, that they actually use that to maybe... Or they didn't, like, at the end of the day, they go home and they pour a glass of wine and they go, <laughs> we got those guys. Oh, man. Right. Suckers. <laughs> they bought it. They bought it. No, I... Suckers. I like that. I was listening to a, an interview with a paranormal team that had gone to the Warrens Occult Museum and... Their basement. Yeah. <laughs> so they went to the Occult Museum in the basement and the paranormal team did. And... They were talking about how Ed and Lorraine didn't seem to have like a modern idea of ghost hunting. Like they didn't quite understand the EMF meters and the infrared cameras and all huh. that. And so when the, and, and these guys who were on the team were very skeptical. Okay. And I thought it was interesting the way he said that, you know, they seemed like your grandparents and, and they were pretty nice when we were there, but it seemed like Ed was really desperate for some scientific validation. He just felt like he was desperate for scientific mm. validation that is interesting and he said i couldn't give that to him because we couldn't find anything in the yeah. ba- you know in the 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 chamber of horrors or whatever wow so you know you wonder did he just want that validation because he thought it would sell more books or get him more or just for credibility him? to or you know sanity i guess or did he, he actually w- believed it if he actually believed it, right. Does he actually believe it? Does Lorraine believe that she's, you know, being contacted by the spirits as a medium and these seances and, and all of that? And whether they believe it or not, I think that leads on to the song for this week. Oh, before we get to that, though, Mike. Yes. When are you going to go see the new movie? I'm curious. Mm. How soon? I'd probably go next week. Really? <laughs> Maybe when it comes, like on the weekend. Because okay. I live right by the movie theater, so I'm, I oh, yeah, you've got you can walk there. Yeah, and I really like the first Conjuring, so if I can find time, I'm going to try to make it out to the movie. All right, well, I'll be curious to hear your take on it. Yeah, it's and as good as the first one. Well, the the actors do a tremendous job. The directing of the first one is so fantastic, and you know, oh, cool. it's obviously not true to life, but is it a great movie? Conjuring is a great movie, and so I recommend <laughs> that to anybody. Amityville okay. Horror is a great movie. I recommend that to anybody. So whether this stuff is true or not, take that out of your head and enjoy it as a work of cinematic. There we go. Enjoy the work cinematic art, and I think you'll really enjoy yourself. And if believing it a little bit scares you extra, <laughs> that's great. But that don't great. but don't look around and and see demons everywhere. Okay. Because there's people with addiction problems. There's people, you know, we, we were just talking about Prince oh, before, yeah. you know? This mm. Prince uh he wasn't possessed by a demon. There's a lot of people who have a lot of problems in their life that aren't satanically Right cost so try to look try to look for the human solution because it's humans that are going to be able to help them and i'm not saying that demons aren't out there i'm just saying 99 percent of the time it ain't demons so this week we're talking about whether they believed it or not doesn't really matter because you know lorraine warren sticks to the story after decades you know she's almost 90 years old and she sticks to the story ed warren never wavered he died in 2006. There was never even a hint of that this is a con or anything like that. So what I, you know, you really think that's beautiful is the fact that these guys were partners in crime and they seem to, uh, they seem to believe in each other 
And so thought this song is called My Only Faith. Saints Valhalla and Voodoo And they got a room waiting for us in Bellevue The only faith I ever had was you So why were you the first to go? I'm left talking to a shadow I'm doing my best, don't you know, to be for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. When I was headbanging, my hair was supernaturally pulled by the devil himself, baby.